opening section of chapters 1 and 2 is this big introduction. It's uh, Paul who's writing to some Christians in the Galatian region, uh, people who'd received the message of Jesus and his life-giving work from Paul himself. But down the track, this message that Paul had brought and the response that was encouraged was now being contested. And so we hear through this letter a a real sense of urgency. Other leaders are coming and wanting to add criteria to what Paul says is the necessary response to the risen Jesus. And so what we hear in Galatians is something that is really important for Paul. The message that he brought is a message that changed lives. It's a message that he describes as the gospel. And as we heard last week, uh, gospel just means good news. It's an announcement of an event, typically the announcement of something that is victorious. It's news that has ramifications. You know, when the government announces tax cuts, you sort of work out, well, what are the implications for me? When an election is held and a new government is installed, then people are asking, well, what were the promises that were made and how is that going to impact me? When you find out at work that you've got a new boss, who they are and what their plan is, it affects you. When you take a pregnancy test and it comes out positive, there's implications from that news. And so the message that Paul had brought, that Jesus was God giving himself as the rescuer, that Jesus was risen and this changed everything, is now being contested as to, well, how should you respond to acknowledge and receive that message. And so Paul is writing to defend the authenticity of what he had previously delivered. He's basically sort of saying, I didn't come with you with fake news. I've come with concrete message. And it's a message that if it's distorted, it's got really deadly consequences. Now, one of the key things I think we need to remember as we're reading Galatians, and particularly from Paul, is that he is a very unique person. God used him to write half of the New Testament. And so Paul, his life and his ministry has a very unique place in God's plan for all people everywhere. And so as Paul talks about his personal experience, it's not something that we should just sort of lay onto ourselves and go, oh, well, Paul experienced this, therefore I should experience exactly the same thing. Paul has a personal relationship with God, which is something that all people can access, but he has a very unique place in the plan of God. And so what we see in Galatians is Paul wanting to defend his ministry, to uphold that the message that he's brought to Galatians previously is one that is from God. And so today we're going to see three things about this gospel, this good news that Paul came and presented to the Galatians. Firstly, that it's from God. Secondly, that the gospel changes lives. And thirdly, that the gospel unites us as the people of God. Now, as we do this, and and particularly as you hear Paul defending himself, there might be some sense that you're a little bit uneasy with what you're hearing. Maybe you sort of start to think, well, why is Paul being so defensive? Or perhaps all these claims about a genuine gospel and trying to oppose those who have a different message sounds a little bit arrogant. 
Perhaps you've got an aversion to there being a right and a wrong understanding of God. Perhaps your mind sort of thinks towards bad expressions of religion that are hard and rigid, and rather than uniting people, tend to divide people. Well, even if that's sort of what you're thinking, I want you to realise that Paul, as he's wanting to defend this message that he's brought, is defending something that he thinks really matters. And so the reason that Paul is so serious about defending his previous ministry is that this news about Jesus and the implications of the risen one and how people should respond, that's not something that you just mess around with. This is a life-changing work of God that should have an immediate and a uniform response from people everywhere. And so Paul here outlines that he is confident, despite people who are sort of accusing him of bringing a false message, he is confident that the message that he brought was true. And so whilst at the time it might sort of sound a little bit overconfident, it might grate a little bit to our modern sensitivities that sort of have an aversion to absolute truth, to right and wrong, Let's just realise that Paul here is defending something that matters. And when you believe something is genuine, when something is genuine, then it is actually the right response to defend it. Just think about you know, people who are passionate about something, who dedicate their lives, whether they're uh, doctors or researchers, or even think about farmers, or people who manufacture something. They become experts in something. They know what is right and wrong, what is genuine and fake. And if someone sort of comes and comes with another theory that isn't that well-founded, then those who have given their life to something that really matters, well, they're not going to just be quiet, are they? We wouldn't expect the medical expert or the agricultural expert to just be silent if someone who just sort of has their phone and starts a YouTube channel starts sort of spreading an alternative message about how to farm or about how the human body works. So just defending yourself doesn't mean that you're being defensive. It doesn't always come from insecurity. Being Defending things often comes because we value them. And so what we hear through Paul's letter is that he really thinks that this gospel message matters. And having clarity on it is key. And so Paul begins our section today by sharing some of his own experience. And I think as we hear Paul's experience, as he's wanting to share that with the Galatians, it's just a reminder, I think, for us that there's something powerful about people sharing their story. I was chatting just before Christmas to a neighbour who I've spent a lot of time with over the last six years. And, um, you know, he's a successful guy. He does everything well. He's sort of straighty 180. And uh, I just sort of thought, he's just always been like this. This guy who's just sort of been like driven, successful. And he was just telling me that, you know, when he finished school, he just didn't know what to do. He just sort of started wandering around the world until his money fell out. He was sort of at a very loose end. And I was like really surprised. I'm like, oh, that's a part of his story that, that gives me a fuller picture of who he is. And so Paul here starts to share something of his personal story as sort of the foreground for this deep theological argument that he's wanting to give the Galatians to defend what he's brought. And so what we see from verse 12 is that Paul is adamant that the message he received and that he shared 
is one that is from God. Verse 12, he says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. What is Paul's point here is that the message that he's been sharing is a message that he's received independent of anyone else. Paul's conversion story is is on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. He becomes blind and he has an encounter with the risen Jesus where he hears Jesus' voice. And then suddenly he comes to faith that Jesus is the risen one. But from that moment, he doesn't then go and find out the other apostles to then be instructed what he needs to go and teach. He was addressed directly by God himself. He received a revelation from Jesus. And now again, this is where the uniqueness of Paul is important to remember. If we sort of expect that this is the mode by which God is revealing himself to everyone, then it would be very hard for there to be uniformity amongst the people of God. If everyone's understanding of God came from a direct personal revelation from God, then it would be really hard to work out what is central to being a follower of Jesus and what isn't. Paul here receives a special revelation. But his point is, my ministry, the message that I've brought, is a message from God. It's not something that he just sort of felt. It's not a message that comes from years of study. It's not a message that comes from logical reasoning. Now, I'm sure that all aspects of Paul's humanity were functioning as he goes about this ministry. God was using that. But inherently, Paul says the source of the message that he's brought is a revelation from God. And so in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul has said, I'm not trying to please people. I'm not trying to gain an audience for myself. Paul's response is, And his reason for sharing the good news of Jesus is, verse 10, that he would be a servant of God. And so Paul doesn't just trust that this message is from God because of his special revelation. He's focused on seeing how God has been at work in his own life. And so from verse 15, Paul actually shares his own personal experience. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the gospel, among the Gentiles. You see, the gospel message that is from God is a message that changes lives. Paul describes here how God planned it. He'd set Paul apart whilst he was still in the womb. That this change is something that God initiates. He calls Paul by his grace. And it's a very work of change that God executes, revealing his son. So it's not that Paul's just sort of come to his senses. Paul isn't just sort of some guy who says, look, I've figured it out. i figured out who God is and what he's about. The initiator of the very message that Paul brings is God who has been active planning, initiating, executing. And so changed lives come from God's initiative. This was Paul's experience, but it's also critically important for us to realise God is the one who changes people. God is the one who sets apart, calls and reveals himself. 
And so Paul was set apart for a clear task of sharing this great news of a risen one about the God who's given himself, who has rescued us from our sins and the present evil age. Paul is now a servant to bring that message to the ends of the earth. And so the clarity that Paul brings about how to respond to Jesus as king is a clarity that comes from his conviction that the message that he delivers is a message from God. It's the message that brings real change and it's a message that Paul himself has experienced. And so from verse 13, Paul shares something of his backstory. He wants to remind those who have forgotten where Paul came from or perhaps to inform those who are unaware. He says, verse 13, For you've heard of my previous life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul wants them to know that his life, previous to encountering Jesus, was heading somewhere. He had a clear conviction. This Jesus guy hasn't risen, as some are claiming. Paul, in fact, felt that that was an insult to the God whom he feared and served. Paul had a life that was filled with passion, persecuting the church. He had a life with purpose. He actually wanted to destroy the church to preserve the honour of the God who he knew. Paul lived a life of success where he was advancing beyond his peer group and he had a life of conviction. He was extremely zealous for the traditions of God. Before meeting the risen Jesus, Paul's life was heading in a clear direction. But the nature of that direction was defiance and a rejection that Jesus was the one who'd rose and reigned. And it's the kind of life that, that each of us, at different expressions, have going on for us, that we're, we're heading in a particular direction, a, a life filled by conviction, passion, purpose, success. If we think about perhaps someone who's migrated, they become passionate about finding a new homeland. Often a clear purpose is establishing stability. There's a sacrifice, a willingness to work multiple jobs, deprive themselves of much. Often the conviction when someone migrates to another country is to provide some security, housing, education, cultural experience for their family. That's what success looks like. Perhaps there's other lives that are heading in a direction. Young adults who've been told that to be successful is to be true to themselves. And so therefore their purpose needs to be to find themselves. I need to find myself so I can be true to myself. And then I need to passionately give myself so that I can be the best version of me. And the conviction often with this trajectory of life is that no one should really burden me. And no one should really be telling me what to do. I'm the creator of my destiny. Paul here is sharing his story about how he previously was. And the purpose is that he can show how the gospel has changed his life. Friends, I actually think there's something here for each of us to reflect on. And uh, for those who've got a handout, 
there's a little thing here that we're going to do over the Lord's Supper to, to just think about the change that has happened or is happening in our life that God is doing. You see, the, the way that we live when we're living a life not recognising the risen one as king is headed in a particular direction. And when God changes us, then it's actually quite significant. You see, this description of what Paul is describing his previous way was probably 16 years earlier. What were you like 16 years ago? Besides sort of the bad fashion, we often think back and go, oh, I'm a bit embarrassed because I, like, I was pretty immature. Like at the time, you think you've got it all sorted out. <laughs> but as we are changed, when we make Jesus our king, as God starts to mature and strengthen us, it's actually significant to share that story. It's actually a great testimony of how God works. And I think what we notice here is that Paul doesn't go into the specific details. He just picks up a couple of characteristics about how his life has changed. The things that he used to be passionate about, what his purpose was, what seemed to be success for him. It was all headed in a different direction. And perhaps the other encouragement here as we reflect on Paul's testimony as perhaps we think about the person in our life who we think is the least likely to become a follower of Jesus. Well, to be honest, they've got nothing on Paul. Paul's mission in life was to destroy the church. The thing he thought that was the most greatest disdain was a claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But God had set him apart in the womb, who called him by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son. So if God can do that kind of change in Paul's life, there's no one who is impossible. And so Paul, having shared that this change has been something that he has experienced, that's given him this identity in chapter 1, verse 10, of now being a servant of God, has now given him a purpose. Chapter 2, verse 7. He's been entrusted to preach the gospel. And so Paul is bringing a message that has changed his life. And he's wanting to defend it because he knows that this message changes people's lives. But it doesn't just bring about personal change. It actually unites us as the people of God. God's more like forming a soccer team than building, like creating great tennis stars. You know, a football team needs to have complementary players that work together in different ranges and different ways, whereas developing a tennis superstar, it's sort of just a, a solo venture. And so the majority of our passage today from chapter 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 10, is sort of Paul outlining and defending how he has demonstrated that unity, how he's been engaging and interacting. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to spend a long time going through the detail. It's more like hearing about someone's holiday. You sort of want to know where they went and what the general vibe was, and that's enough. And so in chapter 1, verse 18 to 24, Paul is describing his first visit to Jerusalem. It was a number of years after his encounter with the risen Jesus. And this is, again, it shows his independence, having been confronted with Jesus and having his eyes opened, he doesn't go to the disciples 
to be directed. He doesn't even go to them to be validated. He doesn't go to them to learn what to say. He doesn't go and study theology with them for four years. He doesn't work in their jurisdiction or come under their authority. But he's not a rogue maverick because in chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, he outlines his second visit to Jerusalem. And at that time, he was wanting to go and just to make sure that the ministry and message that he was presenting was recognisable to the other apostles. It seems that in chapter 2, verse 2, God revealed specifically that Paul should go to Jerusalem. And there we see that in private, he presented the gospel message that he'd been sharing. And so Paul shows a humility here. He wants to make sure that the thing that he's been sharing isn't a confused message. He says, I don't want to be found that I'm running in vain. And verse 7, Paul says, the message that I presented to the other apostles, it was recognisable to them. They're like, yeah, you're on on the track. There's nothing here that we need to correct. And Paul is wanting an alignment of message, verse 5, chapter 2, so that the gospel would be preserved. Remember this message of God who's given himself, who rescues us from sin and the evilness of this present age, who's risen from death in Jesus, is is the message that Paul says is life-changing. But it's the response to that message that Paul is being challenged by. And so here he's presenting that his message has been recognisable. It has at some level been validated. And in chapter 2, verse 3, he uses Titus as a Greek man as an example, a case study of the main issue. One of the main issues that seems to be at play was that uh, some of the teachers were saying that people who were non-Jewish, who were followers of Jesus, needed to be circumcised so that they could be recognised within the Roman Empire as I guess the same as the Jewish people. Paul had been saying, no, that is not a requirement. Trusting in Jesus and his work alone is the only sign of the people of God. And so he says, Titus, he would have been circumcised if that was required, but he wasn't. And so although having received the gospel from God and experienced this personal change himself, What we see from Paul in chapter 118 through to 2.10 is his willingness to be a part of the family, to make sure that he's not off doing his own thing because he knows that this message unites God's people in a new identity. And so as this message is under threat, as others have been attacking what Paul has been doing, Paul is saying that what he has done is of most significance. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 7. On the contrary, they recognise that I've been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so what we see is that this gospel message of who Jesus is and what he's done, it unites those who are uncircumcised and circumcised, those of Gentile background and those of Jewish descent. And Paul says God isn't in the business of playing favourites. And God's people are united by this message, no matter how distinct their backgrounds are. But with an equal status before God, they are to demonstrate their unity. 
And so it's not some token status either. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says is that they were to remember the poor. And so this is a situation that for some of Jewish heritage, them following Jesus as their Messiah King came at great personal cost. We read about last week in Acts about how Paul was under physical violence, that many of the Jewish heritage were attacking him, trying to stop his work. And so not only was there physical threat for many who became followers of Jesus, but perhaps even more significantly and more common was a social exclusion. Being disconnected from the very social support structures was one of the real costs that early followers of Jesus had. And so in the discussion between Paul and the church leaders, the pillars in Jerusalem, one of the things was you need to remember financially the poor in Jerusalem, those who have now been outcast from their family and social support networks because they're followers of Jesus. Because if we're united in Jesus, then that's what family does. And so what we see here is that family is not just sort of some buzzword that we can use. It's something that we need to embody. And family is most demonstrated when the chips are down, when someone's in need. And so the unity that the gospel brings is to be demonstrated within the people of God. And not just in name, but in action. And so the God who's given himself for us in the gospel, who rescues people who are enslaved to their own sin, unites us to be a family where we express the very gracious and self-sacrificial love of our Father. And so as a follower of Jesus, there's going to be opportunities for us to provide for the needs of our brothers and sisters. Those opportunities are going to be costly. I remember a situation where when we came to Sydney, we were um, trying to do some missionary stuff out of our house. We we didn't have a heap of money. And uh, I remember that there was one time uh, when uh, Helena was at the the checkout and she went to pay and they are like, no money. And there was another parent from school who's a Christian who happened to be there, saw what happened um, and just graciously paid for it and just sort of said, This is God's provision for you right now. And so there's this sense where there's times when we are provided for by others that it's deeply humbling to to recognise that we're in need. But there's also opportunities where it's deeply costly to, to provide for the needs of others. But this is the very nature of the people of God and this is to demonstrate the oneness with which we have. And so Paul has been defending this message that he's brought, this message that is good news. And so one of the ways in which we recognise and express the unity that the gospel brings is in the Lord's Supper, something that we're going to do now. And um, one of the things...